Welcome to the Greater Possibilities Podcast from Invesco, where we put concerns into context and opportunities into focus. I'm Brian Levitt. And I'm Jody Phillips. And on the show today is Jen Flitton. Jen is the head of U.S. Government Affairs at Invesco. So, Jody, we're talking politics again? Well, it's kind of hard not to at the moment. Uh, you know, we won't discuss it at cocktail parties or family dinners, but we can't help ourselves when it comes to this podcast. Yeah, and I don't think we should. I, You know, I've been out seeing clients, seeing investors. It is top of mind. It's It's among the one or two top questions that I'm receiving right now. Well, sure. I mean, there hasn't been a Speaker of the House since when? Early October? <laughs> I don't mean That's to laugh. talk is, about. Yeah. Is that is that a problem? <laughs> you know, the other I mean, it's not even clear there's a path to getting one, although although there's some options, I think, that are starting to emerge. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so Jen will de- will give us a scoop on all of that. It, it's certainly unprecedented. I mean, as much as you like to make historical comparisons, Brian, when big events happen, ousting a speaker like this hasn't happened before. So, you know, an unprecedented territory here. But, you know, and it happened just a few days after we were able to avert a government shutdown. Yeah. So you and I were happy about that. We had talked about that on the last podcast, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I've got a, a friend at the uh, federal prosecutor's office. So he's, you know, we weren't sure if he was essential or non-essential, but um, <laughs> he's still getting paid. So he's happy right now. Well, good. Well, good. And and importantly, the animals at the National Zoo are being fed. I know yeah, you always good. like to yeah, ask yeah. that question, but yeah, we were happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> but look, the next shutdown deadline isn't that far away, November 17th. So, you know, the question is, how is all of this uncertainty going to impact what happens between now and then? Can we can we avoid the next one without a speaker? Right. And and we had said that even if you have them, they don't last that long. So I don't know how you do this without good leadership um, in the House of Representatives. So I think it's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I think you've said something about seven or eight days on average is usually about how long shutdowns have lasted in the past, but what what would that look like if this speaker thing isn't settled? And and right now, I'm not sure it's front and center in the markets. I mean, it seems like we've, Americans have gotten used to these things working out, um, but there's no shortage of challenges for the U.S. government to contend with right now. Nope. There's funding for Ukraine, for one, and, and of course, significant concerns with the Israel-Hamas war. Right. And all happening on the eve of an election year. It's always the eve of an election year, right? I mean, that's what it, it feels like. Do there's we, always one upon us. So do we uh, really have to do this again. The calendar says so and yeah, the Constitution. So, yeah, I guess I we'll we start to. dusting off those presidential elections. Don't matter as much as markets, uh, as much for markets as you think they do content. At least, at least that tends to be popular with our with our friends. Yeah. Maybe you can talk about it at cocktail parties, too. You know, it's always <laughs> a crowd pleaser. So. In any case, look, let's bring Jen on to discuss each of these issues and more. So welcome, Jen. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. Well, thanks for joining us, especially when there's so much uh, uncertainty going on to help us figure this out as much as possible. You know, as we're recording this, um, you know, still a lot of questions about the speaker. Jim Jordan failed to get the gavel after two rounds of voting. And I'm starting to see headlines that he may not go for a third vote and instead could support a plan to give uh, additional powers to Representative Patrick McHenry, who's now serving as temporary speaker. So I definitely want to get your views on all of that. But first, I'm hoping you can kind of set the stage and explain to us what can and can't the House do without a speaker right now? 
Well, first I'll say, so we're a bit whipsawed, right? So yeah. that was the news this morning. Mm-hmm. And now it's two hours later, post-conference. And the members erupted over that idea. Oh, goodness. And so there were a lot of tweets and a lot of talk with press as they left the conference meeting. And they right now are not at all interested in um, empowering the current Speaker Pro Temp, Mr. McHenry. Why? So there is a lot of frustration over the idea that they would require Democrat votes okay. for this. Mm-hmm. And there's not a majority of the majority currently that's backing um, this type of empowerment that would essentially take us over the next two months into January. So past some of the biggest um, legislating right over the next two months. And so you saw the hardliners, the conservatives really rally against that. So the expectation is that potentially we will see a third round okay. with Jordan as of 2.30 right now. 2.30 on Thursday on the East Coast. Right. Okay. Well, Brian, that's a note to self. I should always check X right before uh Right yeah. before we start recording a podcast. I that's, mean, we have that's... other jobs to do also, but <laughs> you're not you're not refreshing the internet every no, couple I, of minutes. I, for your that was day. my mistake. Okay, so. Hey, Jen, I, I have a question. I've been getting this from people. Um, when we used to do these things in the past, was it always only one party voting for the speaker? Or did you used to see crossover votes from, from other parties? Like, for example, in the 80s, we used to hear about how these guys would guys and gals would get together and and hang out and drink was was tip o'neill getting votes uh from the other party no this has always been a partisan exercise i mean there are occasionally you have independents who aren't members of either republican or democratic party but then they caucus or conference with those parties and you see that happen in the senate right we have three independent um senators right now they all caucus or have some sort of negotiating agreement with the Democrats. Um, But in the House, um, because majority rule is so strong, um, the minority, it's easy to stay together because you're in the minority, right? You're the opposition party. What we're seeing over the past two Congresses, um, the last one in which Pelosi was the speaker, she had a similar margin, right? A similar margin of votes, four to five votes. Right. Um, but she had changed the rules. So there would not be a motion to vacate unless there were a certain number of, of members who, who put it forward. Uh, they changed the rules back to only one person being able to, to issue this motion to vacate. Regrettably? Regrettably. That was because Kevin McCarthy had to go 15 rounds, right? And this all stems back to the expectation you would have a wave Republican election, um, perhaps in the midterms, that just didn't play out. That's right. It did not materialize. And so what they were left with was a four to five vote, um, depending on on a good day, right, Um, margin. And so because McCarthy had become somewhat of a polarizing um, figure, uh, within the the House Republican membership, um, with such a small margin, it, it took him so long, and then he had to start making deals to get to the speakership. So, Jen, you know, on on the second ballot, uh, Jordan got even one fewer vote than he did on the first ballot. So, going into this third vote, and maybe votes fourteen through fifteen, who knows? What would you think might we be looking at next? If he does not gain in numbers. Right. It's going to continue to sort of unravel within the conference. And the temperature is incredibly heated. 
mean, these are very tense moments. Typically, conference meetings stay very private. They're not. They're literally playing out on X right now. And so um, you see these members just throwing out the family meeting and putting all of their dirty laundry on the floor and in front of the press and all over the Twitter sphere. So um, it, it needs some time to calm down. That was the whole intention of empowering the Speaker Pro Temp for two months is to allow some calmer, um, um, some calm to come over the conference. Um, there may be a way in which the Speaker Pro Temp can bring legislation to the floor without further authority, um, assuming that they make the argument that the authority is currently within statute. And that is a debate that's happening within Washington right now. And what we could see is um, the, the Biden administration bringing the supplemental draft to the Senate next week, the Senate passing it, and that essentially triggering the House to do something, right? Now they have something, a forcing mechanism, and that we could see potentially next week. Speaker pro temp, is this, I don't remember learning about this in high school. Is this a post 9-11 type of thing? Is this to make sure, what, what was the the show with Kiefer Sutherland, the, the last survivor? Is it is it that type of thing? Well, yeah, it's sort of right, because that would be in an emergency, right? The one cabinet member who doesn't come to the State of the Union, that that was sort of that reference. But this was also devised after 9-11 um, in case of an emergency where, you know, potentially you know, there's devastation within the chamber. And so this would allow for, a, he has, the speaker has to provide a whole list of members who could then fulfill that position. And it it's written in such a way that he would have the necessary and appropriate, he or she would have the necessary or appropriate um, and appropriate um, authorities um, deemed by the speaker, right? But his main goal in is to allow for this, the election of a new speaker. I mean, what 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 should we worry about if this persists? Well, right now we have a lot of volatility right around the world um, in the Middle East. What the Biden administration is proposing is to bring a supplemental that funds Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, potentially, and includes some border money. And so these are all threats within the world and at our own border. So this is a real exercise. Uh, and I think that there will be a lot of pressure. Right now, there isn't really that forcing mechanism. There isn't legislation that has to get done this week, right? And the House was already scheduled to be out in recess for the last two weeks. So, you know, while we're approaching the supplemental draft coming to the House floor and we have the appropriations process, we're running into that November 17th deadline where the continuing resolution, the stopgap funding runs out. Um, you know, it's really over the next week, two weeks, three weeks where there's going to be a, a need to get legislation passed. We're, we're not quite there yet. And we all know Congress doesn't work without a forcing mechanism. So we're gonna have to see what happens. So Brian, a lot of issues definitely um, on the table. I don't know if we want to break this down kind of one by one, maybe, maybe looking at the shutdown first, you know, um, definitely hopeful for uh, 
another another solution to this, but Jen have to ask what what does a worst case scenario look like in terms of if we if we can't get things together before November seventeenth and the and and the shutdown happens. Right. This is Im- pretty embarrassing for House Republicans right now, but embarrassment will turn to humiliation if by next week the House and Senate you know, pass a supplemental funding, they're able to to bring forward a bipartisan um, supplemental um, bill that will aid in the crisis that we're seeing play out in real time in, in the Middle East. And then the House can't bring it to the floor. That would be, that would be, um, that would be an emergency, right? And so, that's why it's it's a big question whether that may be the moment that the conference decides, okay, we just need to figure out what we're going to do for till the end of the year. And maybe that is a way to get um, more empowerment into the speaker pro tem. Are, there, are all options open on this? I mean, you say that, you know, typically you don't see the two sides come together and think of an option. I mean, are, the, are there Democrats willing to put their vote behind a a Republican candidate in exchange for some of the concessions that they want? I mean, clearly they weren't with Kevin McCarthy. Do you think they're regretting that? Or is it possible that something may happen in the future? Well, there's been a lot of chatter about that in Washington, whether they regret. I mean, Jim Jordan could still become speaker by next year, right? And so, you know, the idea that, you know, some of the Republican rhetoric that came out after McCarthy was removed and, and deposed was that, you know, Democrats joined with Matt Gates and friends to kick out <laughs> Kevin McCarthy. Right. And at the time, I thought that was OK. Wow, that's quite a reach. But apparently some of that's resonating. You know, I don't think there's a real understanding over the, the process and procedure of the House in most, you know, American kitchen tables. That's not what they're discussing. Um, but when you try to present yourself as the pragmatic party, um, the party who's serious about getting things done and making government function, and then, you know, you vote to remove the speaker. Apparently that there is some, some in some circles that's, that's resonating in the sort of independent, you know, the, the, those who can kind of go both sides, um, depending on the election. Uh, and so they're starting to feel some of that in certain districts. And so I think they want to be part of the solution. Um, but of course, that is then getting the hardliners, the gates and 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 extended into, you know, the rest of the Freedom Caucus really frustrated, frustrated over the idea of an electing a speaker um, with Democratic votes. As always, where you stand depends on where you sit. Right. 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 You hear what you want to hear. How um, I've got to imagine that Benjamin Netanyahu and um, Vladimir Zelensky are watching this pretty closely. You know, it's I would imagine that uh, the need to replenish the Iron Dome and the need for Ukraine to have, you know, further support, um, which, quite frankly, right now of the 100 billion that the the administration is drafting, um, the talk is that 60 billion of that is for Ukraine. Now, that's that's a lot over the 24 billion that the White House had originally asked for um, er- earlier this fall. So I would imagine 
um, that is not going to be well received by House Republicans, many House Republicans. And so that number is going to be really difficult to get to. The House Republicans, if they want to play here, they have got to come together if they want to negotiate around this package, because it's not just money. Uh, there will have to be accountability. There'll have to be policy and direction for exactly where that money goes. And the House Republicans are going to want to be part of that conversation, but they they can't be, they have no leverage if they don't get a speaker or empower a speaker pro tem. So, you know, speaking a little more specifically about the, the crisis in Israel and in Gaza, I mean, does all this dysfunction and, and distraction in the U.S., you know, have potential implications about this expanding, you know, into a broader regional conflict, you know, while, while we're busy <laughs> infighting, you know, what What's the broader perspective globally? Well, that's the ultimate fear. And so you've seen the, the administration um, today, or maybe it was last night, provided a, um, a briefing to members, the leadership of the House and Senate, bipartisan, to really bring them up to speed as to what they're seeing. And of course, the fear is that this could spread, that Hezbollah could become involved, that Lebanon could be in, become involved. And what does that mean for the spread of this in, in the region? And so um, that is definitely a concern that is shared by both sides. That's a bipartisan concern. I mean, that's the consensus of Washington right now. And then you saw the State Department um, just a few hours ago issue a, uh, a concern to uh, American travelers around the world um, that they need to be vigilant because of the protests and potential terrorism. I guess I was very naive uh, six months ago, walking around the Holy Land without much of a care in the world. Um, it's amazing how quickly things change. Do you get a sense, based on uh, President Biden's trip to Israel, did you get a sense of, you know, everybody's talking about the morning after, the morning after, or how does this end? Do you have a sense of whether we're stepping into a prolonged conflict similar to perhaps what we saw after 9-11 with, with uh, what the U.S. was seeking to accomplish in Afghanistan? Or does this seem to be a more limited mission with a potential reasonable outcome? Well, I think the key question right now, um, as things stand today, is the Israeli entrance into Gaza and what they will need to do to um, extract Hamas from Gaza. What is left in Gaza after that? Right. Right. And so, you know, as much as the U.S. and, and Biden's rhetoric has been, we we don't want to, we don't want Israel to have to occupy Gaza. Israel doesn't want to have to occupy Gaza. But, you know, there's a famous saying, right, in, in defense and in, in going into um, and occupying, if you break it, you, you bought yeah. it, right? You have yeah. the responsibility of those people. There is discussion, and you saw that as President Biden left Israel. He, he apparently immediately had phone calls with the president of Egypt and the president of the Palestinian Authority, because they're trying to get a, a handle on what happens after they remove Hamas, which was essentially the governing force there in Gaza after the 2007 when they rather viciously took over the Strip. 
So Brian, I know on our list of questions that we wanted to ask Jen, we definitely wanted to ask her about 2024 election. Is there anything else <laughs> before we pivot? Anything else uh, you wanted to ask about the shutdown or should we just jump straight into the election picture? I guess before we get to that, I mean, I think investors want to know what they should be concerned about most or what they should fear most. And, you know, one of the things that I've been hearing lately is inflation is still a challenge. We can debate how much of a challenge in the U.S. We've seen interest rates go up a lot. And obviously there's, you know, rates kind of settle based on where supply and demand are. And the concern that I'm hearing is more supply, you know, the, the more more need for money, um, not only at the U.S. border, but also Israel, Ukraine and, and whether there, you know, I don't know necessarily if this is a question for you, Jen, but whether there's demand for all that supply coming to market and is is now the right time for more spending, not that, you know, the United States largely has a a choice in this instance, but is there is there really the the reasonable ability to sop up this supply that's going to come to market? Yeah, I think the appetite for additional spending is incredibly low. And, and you saw out of this debt ceiling deal, the parameters that were set were to bring that, that fiscal spending down considerably. And I think no matter what comes out of this, we will not be growing spending here in in the government and in there will be a restraint how okay. they do it on discretionary spending specifically right which we know isn't the the main growth of spending it's really entitlements it's social security and medicare sure. but within that discretionary spending um and the non-military discretionary spending they will start to contract that whether it's at the house level of, of really restraining it or it's the senate level which is a compromised restraint it will be restrained i think a lot of investors will be happy to hear that yeah so to Jody's point, do you think that what is going on in the House of Representatives right now is being closely followed by the American public? And do you believe that by the time we get to the conventions next summer or the debates in the early fall that anyone's even going to remember this? Right, exactly. And I was with a few members this week who who were saying the same thing, right? I mean, they're hearing from their base, Right. The base voters who, are, of course, you know, are political junkies or they 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 um, pay attention and they they're sent little messages, email or text otherwise. And so they're engaging in calling up their office, you know, their congressional office and and having their own opinion about a Jim Jordan or a Scalise or what have you. Um, but the vast majority of people don't know who the Speaker of the House is, don't care who the Speaker of the House is. And quite frankly, you know, once we get into the general election season, the presidential will be the main stage and everything will just be sideshows. It's going to be two main characters. And we can, if you know, in a point in time right now, it looks like it's going to be President Biden and former President Trump, a sort of redo of 2020, two very well-known figures who also have their own polarizing forces. And so that will be the, the vast majority of the focus come 2024. Yeah, this will seem like a distant memory. Yeah. So do you have any, um, I don't know if predictions is uh, maybe too strong of a word or just thoughts in terms of what the most likely outcome might be in 24? 
Well, I think the consensus right now, if you're looking at the polling, the aggregated polling, um, is that Donald Trump is is quite a force and he is only growing in that. And short of, you know, being sent to prison, which, by the way, you can run for president and you can be president if you are in prison, (laughs) Um, short of like experiencing some sort of um, issue along those lines. uh, It does look very likely that he will be the Republican nominee. And we have the caucuses meeting here in Iowa in January, and then that will follow for the first primary in the country in New Hampshire in February. And then it'll go to South Carolina and all of a sudden you're at Super Tuesday. The momentum, if he takes Iowa and New Hampshire and then South Carolina is just going to be unstoppable. So really that's why you see sort of the next rung of characters, DeSantis, Haley, Tim Scott, they're focusing all of, of what they have on Iowa and New Hampshire. What about 2028? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So, Brian, is this the part where you pull out your presentation about how 2024 isn't going to matter much to markets and make us all feel a little bit better about that, at least? I mean, at least what I've been able to tell people, you know, people get so worried around the elections on what it's going to mean for markets. If you look at the market performance under Trump from the day he got elected in 2016. So I think that was November 8th, 2016, for the first 720 or 740 days in office, um, which which is what Biden has now done. If you look at Biden's performance, the S&P 500 from November 3rd, they're pretty close. Trump's got a, a slight advantage, but they're pretty close. Nowhere near what the amount of concern that we heard from investors. So Jody, Jen, I will keep going back to those points. I know these things mean a lot with regards to policy and direction of of the United States and and what type of country we're going to be and how we're going to form a more perfect union. But ultimately, markets seem to be focused far more on what the Federal Reserve is going to do. We promise not to ask you any Federal Reserve questions, Jen. We'll, say, we'll save that and put Brian on the hot seat there. Jen, is there any any parting shots, anything we missed, anything that you can tell us to maybe calm the concerns of people that are watching this too closely? Well, I think we will have a resolution here. It's just, it's going to be, um, it's already dragging out, but it's going to drag out further. And it it's, you know, if you watch too much news and right now people are because of all the volatility in the world. So they're seeing all of this playing out in in real time. But I do think that by the end of this year, there will be some sort of resolution um, to the government funding, to the, you know, the continuation of the NDAA, the reauthorization of the Defense Act, which is how we fund our military, and some sort of resolution on supplemental funding for the Middle East and the war in Ukraine. And so I think by the end of this year, we will find ourselves resolved around Christmas. All right. My blood pressure just went down quite a bit. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And Happy New Year. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jen. We appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jen. So, Brian, as we we track these issues through the next couple months, um, where can people find your market views? Yeah, it's not going to be hard for us to come up with topics, right, Jody? (laughs) Not at all. Visit Invesco.com slash Brian Levitt to read my latest commentaries. 
And of course, you can follow me on LinkedIn and on X. Do we have to say formally known as Twitter? Why not? Formally known as Twitter. At Brian Levitt. The real Brian Levitt. (laughs) You've been listening to Invesco's Greater Possibilities podcast. The opinions expressed are those of the speakers and are based on current market conditions as of October 16th, 2023, and are subject to change without notice. These opinions may differ from those of other Invesco investment professionals. Invesco is not affiliated with any of the companies or individuals mentioned herein. This does not constitute a recommendation of any investment strategy or product for a particular investor. Investors should consult a financial professional before making any investment decisions. Should this contain any forward-looking statements, understand they are not guarantees of future results. They involve risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. There could be no assurance that actual results will not differ materially from expectations. All investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Information on the frequency and duration of U.S. government shutdowns is from the U.S. Department of the Treasury. All data provided by Invesco unless otherwise noted. NDAA stands for the National Defense Authorization Act. The Greater Possibilities Podcast is brought to you by Invesco Distributors, Inc.